Well, good morning. Welcome here again to Linden Alliance. It's great to be here. Today, we are finishing our series through the book of Acts. And some of you might be thinking, oh, finally, like, well, this has been, this feels like it's been a while. And maybe it has. I mean, we did half of it in the fall, and now we've done the second half. But today, we're finishing things up in the book of, or in the location of Rome, uh, which spans from chapters, uh, Acts chapters 27 and 28. And today we're going to look at Paul's journey from Caesarea all the way to Rome, which took quite a bit of time. If you remember the last couple weeks, we've looked at how uh, in Jerusalem, Paul was arrested and brought to Caesarea because, you know, the Jews were trying to kill him in Jerusalem. And out of fear of, uh, you know, they were thinking about sending him back to Jerusalem to stand trial. And out of fear, Paul said, no, I appeal to Caesar. Like, and so then uh, the Roman governor Festus said, well, then to Caesar you will go. And so they, this is the, his journey today we're looking at is this long, difficult, exhausting trip from Caesarea to Rome. And we're going to look at all of those details. But I want to start today by just asking if you've ever had a long and exhausting trip. I'm sure we've all had those types of, you know, maybe it was a family holiday, maybe it was just a road trip, maybe you were just trying to go into town to get something, and it just, you know, everything piled up one on top of the other, and and you're just like, man, could this day get any longer? Maybe you've just had an exhausting day or an exhausting week, and maybe that's you today already, at the end of this long week, maybe, you know, and the kids have the week off too, you know, there's holiday tomorrow and all that stuff, and you're just like, man, can we just send the kids to school? But, I, you know, with my family being in the lower mainland in BC, and Aaron's family being, you know, I would say kind of all over Alberta a little bit, in the Edmonton and, and Lloydminster area and Camrose, but we've done a lot of traveling. We have had our fair sh- shares of road trips that have just dragged on and on. And uh, there was one time we, well, several times on our way down to BC, to Surrey area, that there's just been thing after thing of us getting stopped along the way. And there was, you know, one occasion that came to mind, I would say one of the more recent occasions, uh, when after we had preached here, Thanksgiving 2022, you know, we came to, I would say, test the waters a little bit. And we headed down to BC after that. And we tried to, you know, make the cutoff, because they were still working on the construction between field and golden there and we tried to make it before they closed the highway and we didn't quite get there so we had to detour to radium which is you know another two hours or so and you know stop for lunch and gas along the way and kids are having issues and and we get you know finally to the other side of salmon arm and there's a huge accident and we stopped there and we're like hey is it going to open soon what's going on we're looking at road reports over stopped and and by the time the third ambulance went by us, we decided, let's find another route if we can. And so we did turn around. We found some logging roads and some different back roads and secondary highways. And we made our way around all this into Kamloops. And it was finally, we arrived at my parents' house in Surrey. And a simple, I don't know, 10-hour drive from here or so was like 15 or 16 hours later, we finally arrived. It was well after midnight. And we're tired. We're exhausted. We're trying to go to bed and get the kids settled. Of course, they're up and at them at 5 a.m. again, right? Just ready to go. Because they've slept on the whole trip. And we're just tired and we're just exhausted. And that 
does not compare at all to Paul's journey to Rome. This was a journey that took so much longer than anticipated. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 27, verse 1 to 12. And I have a map to go along with these verses as well, because there's quite a few towns again in these verses, and it's just good, I think, a good visual cue. So Acts chapter 27, it says, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. So if Sidon is just in the bottom right corner, and they have to go all the way to the top left there. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lazio. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing south, both southwest and northwest. When a gentle wind began to blow, they saw the opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. There's a ton of names there, but they wanted to go up just south of Corinth there and then up, but they got blown off course and ended up on the island of Crete. And Paul's warning them, you know, we should not keep going. This is not going to be good. He, you know, it says it's after the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, and that happens, you know, in early October. And we have to remember that they didn't have any compasses or nothing. They navigated by stars. And so, you know, getting into the fall and into winter there, you know, storms come in and clouds cover the sky quite regularly over the Mediterranean Sea. And so it was dangerous to travel. That's why Paul's saying we should not go any further. Let's winter here. But they tried to make it to the edge of the island of Crete where they can winter safely and then travel after that. But this rough and hurricane force wind came down and blew them off course again. And you know, even though they went against Paul's judgment and they went with the pilot and the captain, makes sense, right? These people traveled these waters regularly. It was an Alexandrian ship. It meant that it, it went across these waters quite frequently. So who's Paul to say not to go when these guys have lots of experience, right? So they go. But the storm just grew worse and worse, and they were in this huge hurricane storm 
for a long time. The boat is starting to break apart. So they start passing ropes underneath the boat and wrapping it up like a, you know, like a big present, basically, tying this boat together over and over again so it wouldn't just rip apart. And in verse 21, it says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves in this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. It almost sounds a little bit like Paul saying, I told you so, right? I told you, you shouldn't have sailed. And that's not really exactly what's going on, even though he had plenty of opportunity. They're in the midst of this terrible storm. They haven't eaten in a while. And Paul's just now comforting them. Instead of going to the blame, he's going to comfort. And he's saying, God spoke to me, and we're going to make it. Don't worry, just the ship is going to be destroyed. And maybe that's part of a comfort. Maybe they're thinking, well, what does that look like? Are we just going to be floating on planks through the Mediterranean now? Or how, is, how are we going to be saved here? And Paul's like, no, we have to run aground somewhere. We just got to crash this, this ship onto an island, and we will figure it out from there. And in verse 33, it says again, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He says, for the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Verse 37, altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land before them, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach, and they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their, their plan. He ordered, them, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land, and the rest were to use planks or other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. First of all, what maybe stood out is the soldiers just wanted to kill the prisoners. I mean, for, the, for these guards, if they lost any soldier along this journey or at any point, whether it was on house arrest or anywhere, if they lost their prisoner or if their prisoner escaped, that guard would be killed because of it. And they're fearing and they're like, hey, we, this isn't going to work. How are we going to keep all these prisoners together? We should just kill them all and figure things out for ourselves. But this centurion, this, uh, this Julius man who liked Paul, wanted to spare his life. And so he said, no, we're not going to do that. Everybody who can swim, swim, and we'll figure out the rest on planks. Now, up to this point, the whole journey from, from Caesarea to Rome, it should have only taken about a month. 
And that might seem like a long time, but up to this point, it's already been about three months or so. With all the delays as they were blown off course to the island of Crete and all those other delays along the way, and then two weeks of just, or over two weeks, of just intense hurricane-force winds coming down and blowing them all around. And they have no idea where they are. They have no idea where they're going. And in the morning, dawn comes, and they see land, and they're like, just, we're going to head for that, and we're going to figure it out. We're going to crash, but we're going to finally be on land. And from there, they, they winter for three months. And, and then they go, and they continue on from there. In total, from, from Jerusalem to this point, Paul has spent, or to the end of, actually, from Jerusalem to the end of Acts, Paul spends about five years of his life in prison for false accusations, for crimes that were never proven, and for, you know, he was released. After the end of Acts, he's released, but nothing ever stuck, and he spent five years of his life in chains but he took every opportunity of those five years to share the gospel and to share what God was speaking to him. You know, sometimes life just throws you in the midst of a storm. When all things look decent and to go ahead, and you step out and you go for it and things start to blow sideways. Sometimes our plans don't go as we hope them to go or plan them out to go. How many times have I planned a trip that just did not go as did not go well? I had one friend, uh, you know, back when I lived in BC that I would go dirt biking with regularly in the mountains, and we never had a trip that went well together with the two of us. Either a bike would break down, or somebody would crash, or run out of gas, or whatever it was. Something would happen every single time, and it became a joke that we're like, man, this should be a bucket list to like have a successful outing together. <laughs> Because it never ended well, and we almost expected it. You know, after the, last, after the last breakdown, we would pack those extra tools that we needed in our bags and go off. And of course we wouldn't use them, because something else would happen. But plans don't always go as we want them to go. Even in the midst of failed or spoiled travel plans, even in the midst of chaotic storms of life, where we feel like our ship is just breaking apart, God reminds us to be faithful in him as he reminds Paul as well, and as Paul then reminds the rest of the crew. In Mark chapter 9, or chapter 4 actually, we read of when Jesus and his disciples get on a boat to travel across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was much, much smaller than the Mediterranean Sea. But as they're traveling, Jesus decides this is a good time for a nap. And he goes down and he falls asleep, and during that time a fierce storm kicks up, to the point where the boat is breaking apart that they're on, and the disciples are screaming, and they're, they're hollering, and they finally go and wake up Jesus, and they're like, save us, we're going to drown. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. His disciples said, or he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? There are a lot of different illustrations that you could draw from this story. 
I mean, the storm arose after Jesus went to sleep, and the disciples weren't necessarily focused on him anymore. They're focused on sailing, and the storm kicks up. And instead of, you know, waking Jesus up right away, they try to hold things together themselves. They're pulling things, they're, you know, running ropes across, and they're holding on for dear life. And it's not only until they think they're going to die that everything is lost, that this is the end, that they cry out to Jesus. Save us. These two stories can be a little similar. You know, the, the, the fierce storm of breaking apart the ship. But the Mediterranean Sea is about 15,000 times bigger than the Sea of Galilee. But the fear in the men on board, I would say it was about the same. People that think this is the end, this is it. Are we turning to Jesus as that last resort when all, all other hopes are gone, when we think this is the end? Or do we turn to him as our first rescue? I bet Paul, Luke is on board here as well. He uses the term quite often, we, as he's writing the book of Acts here. Paul and Luke, they would have known about the story on the Sea of Galilee. They would have known well that Jesus saved them from that storm, that he just spoke and everything calmed right down. That, he, that God provided a way through that storm, so surely he would provide a way through this one. But I'm still sure that there was still doubts and still fears and still worries in the hearts of those men. In the hearts of all 276 on board. But God did, did provide a way. And he spoke to Paul in a dream and assured him that everyone was going to be, that everyone on board was going to survive. And they did. They hit ground on this island and they all made it to shore. And in chapter 28, it says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. In verse 11, it says, After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship, the figurehead of the twin gods of Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail, arriving at Regium. And the next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petuli. From there, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So we get to the end of the book of Acts here. This is it. After a brutal, at this point it would have been six months or more, of travel that included layovers and, you know, storms and bad winds and a shipwreck and then three months on this island where the people showed them unusual kindness, as Luke writes. But finally, six, seven months later, they arrive in Sicily, in Italy, and then they travel by land to Rome, the capital of the empire. Paul spends two years under house arrest here in Rome, freely preaching the gospel 
until his release after the book of Acts. During this house arrest period, he wasn't allowed to leave his home, but people could come in. And during that time, he writes letters to the churches. He writes letters to, um, to Philemon. He writes the letters to Col- the Colossians letters and Ephesians and Philippians. God has finally brought Paul to Rome. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Paul said, you know, I'm going to travel back through Macedonia and Achaia, and hopefully I get to Rome. But he doesn't because God calls him to Jerusalem. That was about five or six years later that he finally arrives here in Rome. He finally gets there. And he is finally preaching freely the word of God. There aren't people trying to kill him every second or every time that he steps out the door. Here God provides a way where Paul can freely share the gospel. What a brutal trip. I don't think I've ever had anything go that terrible on a trip of mine. Sure, there's been road closures and and different things that have come up. But to spend six months traveling to a place and to finally get there, Paul says that he was encouraged when he saw the brothers and sisters in Rome and that he thanked God when he finally arrived. You might feel like you're out at sea right now and that you can see a storm rolling in. Maybe it's already been raging for a while and you've just had enough. You're ready to cut the ropes, to cut your losses. Or maybe you're here today like in the position of those on the island of Malta, seeing that there's a role to be played, seeing the hurt and the tiredness of these people coming, coming in. Maybe you just have, a, God's giving you a heart to care for these people, to show unusual kindness. Because maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been through those storms already. Whatever your place or whatever your role is, let God guide you. Let him be the one to say to that storm, quiet, be still. Don't just turn to him when you think that all is lost, but let him be your first rescue. Jesus asks his disciple, disciples, where is your faith? Is your faith in yourself, trying to hold everything together? Or is your faith in Jesus? He was the one asleep in that boat when, when they were fighting this storm. He was the one, you know, not given, giving a, an extra hand. At least that was in their eyes. But he was there, always available to offer help. They just had to ask. Jesus is here right now. The Spirit is with us today in this room. And everywhere we go, are we waiting until that last chance to call out to him? Or are we sensitive to the Spirit and listening as we see the storm roll in? Maybe comforting us before anything actually happens. Jesus asked his disciples, do you still have no faith? Where is it? So where is your faith today? Jeremiah chapter 32, the prophet Jeremiah is praying to God for wisdom here. And he starts his prayer and he says in verse 17, O Lord God, 
It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Isn't that the truth? Nothing is too hard for God. There's a song that, we've, that we sing once in a while, and part of the bridge says, nothing is too hard for you. Impossible is what you do. So that's my encouragement for us today. That's my prayer for each and, a, each and every one of us today. That we can turn to God knowing that nothing is too hard for him. That we can turn to God knowing that he can just speak and the storm will be silent. You might think that he's just sleeping in the back. But he's still there. He's waiting for you to call on him. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. God, I thank you for these words from the prophet Jeremiah. Encouraging us, because we know nothing is too hard for you. But sometimes we just need to hear it again to be reminded, to believe it. Jesus, you asked your disciples, where is your faith? God, I pray that we are putting our faith time and time again in you first. That we're not trying to hold it together ourselves. That we don't go to you as that last resort, but that we run to you as the first rescue. Knowing that nothing is too hard for you. Oh Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Lord Jesus, remind us of that this week as we go from here. Continue to encourage us and not just by your spirit, God. Pray that we're sensitive to your spirit's leading. That maybe we're the people on the island of Malta needing to, to show unusual kindness to those that are hurting around us. Or maybe we are striking dawn and we are finally seeing land in front of us. Lord Jesus, would you comfort us? Would you be with us this week? Would you guide us and lead us? Give us the words to say because we know nothing is too hard for you. In your great and holy and powerful name we say amen and amen.